the rest can turn to Ephesians chapter 3. Jeff, were you able to find that? Okay. We're not ready yet, but... No, 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 we're not ready. I just want to make sure you got it. Um, and, you know, on Mother's Day, there are usually roses up here uh, for each of the moms, you know, to take one. And today there are donuts in the back uh, for each of the dads if they didn't get enough carbs and sugar during breakfast downstairs. They can grab a little more to go on the way out. So, um, not now, Daryl. No, Daryl. Hold on. <laughs> didn't expect that from you, no. <laughs> he got caught. All right. Uh, and uh, so we can enjoy that and thank you for the bringers of those. So, um, Ephesians 3, and let's, uh, we're going to read a little bit, and then we will go, well, I'm, I'm supposed to do the first six verses, we may have to lean a little bit further, uh, when Jim teaches next, we may go back over some of that, uh, so we'll see, we'll see how it rolls. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to men in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit of God, Holy Apostles, Spirit of God to the Holy Apostles and Prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, The Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given to me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith, we, in faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, do not be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, uh, which are your glory. We learn in chapter 1, That God is wise, that God is the giver of grace and his riches. He's a gracious God. Uh, He is powerful, and he wants us to know him. Chapter 2, we saw that we are needy of him. And that was a passage of Christian read, uh, that we are are a needy people. It is that we just don't wing this on our own. Uh, and, And Paul made that crystal clear, that we are needy of him. He also went into chapter 2 to explain a little bit more about God. And as I've said many times, when you are reading the scriptures, you know, keep that paper and pencil there, or if you're good at your mental notes. But so far in chapter 1, we talked about God being uh, giving richly of his, of his grace, uh, his wisdom, his power, and all of that. And then in chapter 2, we see that God is, is peace, rich in mercy, kind, destroyer of walls, a reconciler of man to himself. And and also the chief cornerstone. All of these things about God, every single one tells us something about him. Well, chapter 3 is going to be like basically a prayer for the Ephesian people. But as he starts, as quickly as he starts, he he stops and then goes in to tell the backstory. 
explaining the relationship between God and man in this age that we now live. This is called the age of grace sometimes, the church age. This period of time is, has a special relationship and a special administration or stewardship that we will see between God and his people. As we said, we're not sacrificing a lamb today. There's no doves for sale. That things are changed, and we're going to look at that in a little bit also. So verse 1, he kind of starts the prayer and then gives us a little bit of perspective. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles... So he starts it off, and then he goes, surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me. So he calls himself a prisoner. Why does he call himself a prisoner? Because he was. All right? He was, he was in prison, right? But he, that is not, the, although he's using that as a literary device, and, and Paul does this incredibly so, uh, so a little bit of a play of words because he was a prisoner, but he's not talking about being a prisoner of, of Rome, or a prisoner of anybody, except a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Now, as he's writing this, they know that he's a prisoner, but he says, no, those chains are not what's keeping me. All right? I am a prisoner of Christ. So a little play on words, but Rome did not defeat him. Rather, he was conquered by Christ. He gave in to Christ. He surrendered himself to Christ. So, He's going to address the social reality of the problem that there were two groups, Jews and Gentiles, and there were some blending issues that weren't happening, that they needed to understand that they're all one in Christ, one race, all right, human race, and that they're now, as it had been, God's people were the Jews, now it is the church, which is all who believe, all who trusted Christ as their Savior. So he's making this, using this idea of a prisoner, uh, using this idea of, of the, the social issue at the time, but he doesn't make, make the social issue his cause, if you notice that. The fact that he's uh, you know, unjustly imprisoned, he doesn't go into that. All right? He use, rather uses it to say that I am a prisoner of Christ. It is he whom I follow. It is he who directs where I go and tells me what time to get up and what time to eat, so to speak as it would be for someone incarcerated. He is happily bound to Christ. He is happily following Christ. In 2 Corinthians, he writes, But thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumph in Christ and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. What is he talking about? This triumph, this victory in Christ, even though he is in prison, and the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in everywhere we are. The captains of their, the, the captain, the, the general, I guess, of a, of a winning army would, after the, the conquest, would bring back the captains of the losing army and usually have them like chained together behind the, the general, the winning army's um, chariots. So to show that what they have been victorious over, here they are, these great leaders are now in a humble line all right, behind my chariot. And this would, of course, encourage the people because these people were a threat. And now look at them. They are in chains. They have no power. It is all gone. And they are following me, the general, because they have, have no choice. But before they would come into the city, they would send a runner ahead. And he would knock on all the doors and say, you know, the procession parade, whatever it is, is on its way. And then he would then fill all the streets with a burning of incense to help make it a pleasant experience. Again, we've got to remember things weren't, didn't smell as good back then. So it would be a pleasant experience. 
the incense would be burning all over uh, to give off the sweet aroma so everyone could see the parade. Hence, the sweet smell of victory. All right? So we have this in Christ. We have this idea that no matter what the circumstances, we have this joyous time, but Paul is saying that I am in that parade, but I am following Christ. As you know, he calls himself a bond slave many times, that I am you know, willingly conquered by Christ. I am willingly bound. And he, he follows Christ, keeping his eyes on him, all right? and, and, and he views himself as, as free, as a victor even though he is chained in a prison. So he uses his example, not to tell a long, long, long story about what it's like in prison, all right? But to show that that means nothing. What does mean something is my relationship with Christ, and this is a picture of it. He says, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me. Now, your Bible might say administration. It might say stewardship. Uh, Does anybody have anything else for that in verse 2? Surely you have heard about the dispensation. dispensation. I think that's the King James Bible. That, you know, there is this word. I know that we're not looking at our Bibles as much as we used to. Sorry, we've got to do like an auto flash thing quick with the uh, versions up there. So we see this word. He says that you have heard about this administration, the stewardship, this dispensation, all right, that has been given to me and the other prophets because prophets were still telling the word of God from directly information from God. Now we have his completed word. We don't have that. But that was still happening at this time. And God revealed to the men of God that this whole administration thing, dispensation. So it's something that is for a period of time that someone has a part in that was given to them. And I'll explain this a little bit more. A governor could say that under my administration, we have done X, Y, and Z. We've all heard those from political people, right? This is what we've done. We did this, we did that. So that is the same idea, the same concept. Under this administration, what is an administration for a a governor or an elected official? It's a period of time where he has some authority, but not from himself. He didn't like win a war, even though sometimes it looks like it on television ads, all right? All right. That power was given to him, and in a democracy, it's given to him by the people. So depending on what kind of government you have, it is a period of time that someone is, is ruling, and they know what's going on, hopefully, and that is given to them. So this administration, this dispensation, this stewardship of what he is in charge of is called the age of grace, the church age. All right? It is a period of time where there are, as a specific way of doing things, and that power did not come from Paul and the other apostles or prophets. It came from God, who said things have changed. So this period of time that, whether, like I said, for, for a, a governor or a political leader, a period of time that he or she has an appointed role in that it is given, that power is given to them by someone greater than themselves. So we can see the, the uh, correlation with what we have today. So God is speaking of this God-appointed period of time that would be administrated in a specific way, reflective of one who is in power. Now, if, if you are a, a school teacher, you go in and you teach your class. If you are then promoted to a chairperson, all right, you then have some different responsibilities. And you may be called in to say, okay, you are now administering our program. 
This isn't your thing. You're part of our thing. Do you want this position? Because someone greater than you is calling the shots. Hence, in this case, it is God. So he says in verse uh, 2, You've heard about this administration was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, again, from God. As I've already written you briefly, in chapter 1, he says that he, God, made known to us the mystery of his will, uh, according to his intention that he purposed in him. And this mystery is the joining of two groups into one. And it's not a mystery like a mystery book. It is more something revealed at the right time. It is like a curtain being pulled back. The person in charge knows what's behind the curtain. All right, even, even though it might not you know, seem it when they do it on a game show. But you know, they know what is back there. And so the curtain is pulled back on something that God already knew was going to be there. It didn't come as a surprise. Like, oh no. All right, we have like, like the death of Jesus. What are we going to do? How about like a, a resurrection? All right, that's cool. All right, now what are we going to do? Uh, no, 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 no. He knows. All right, he's God. So this was a plan of God that for this period of time, the people of God would be called the church, that they would be called out from all the different groups, mostly obviously making the point of Jew and Gentile. And this mystery was not made known before. Catch that. That verse 3, that is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I've already written briefly. In reading this, then, you'll be able to understand my insight in the mystery of Christ. Verse 5, which was not made known to men in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. It was not made known before. So did the prophet Isaiah know about the church age? According to that verse. No. What did he know about? Well, he would have known about the things of his day. He would have foretold the future that if you don't do this, this will happen. All right? He will talk about, the prophets talk about all the way up to John the Baptist and the coming of Christ. And then we don't hear them speaking about this church age. And we don't hear anything until they're talking about the time of tribulation or the millennial, millennial kingdom to follow that. So this age, this, these facts were not made known to other ages. So there, that is the main difference that we see between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Just going to put a video up, and what we see, and it's just a little brief back and forth, that we get the gist between what the Old Testament does and what the New Testament does. It, it barely touches on this, um, if you can catch it, just a few minutes long. New Testament. What are the differences? While the Bible is a unified book, there are differences between the Old Testament and the New Testament. In many ways, they are complementary. The Old Testament is foundational. The New Testament builds on that foundation with further revelation from God. The Old Testament establishes principles that are seen to be illustrative of New Testament truths. The Old Testament contains many prophecies that are fulfilled in the New. The Old Testament provides a history of a people. The New Testament focus is on a person. The Old Testament shows the wrath of God against sin with glimpses of his grace. The New Testament shows the grace of God towards sinners with glimpses of his wrath. The Old Testament predicts a Messiah, and the New Testament reveals who that Messiah is. The Old Testament records the giving of God's law, and the New Testament shows how Jesus, the Messiah, fulfilled the law. In the Old Testament, God's dealings are mainly with his chosen people, the Jews. In the New Testament, God's dealings are mainly with his church. Physical blessings promised under the Old Covenant give way to spiritual blessings under the New Covenant. The Old Testament prophecies related to the coming of Christ, although incredibly detailed, 
contain a certain amount of ambiguity that is cleared up in the New Testament. For example, the prophet Isaiah spoke of the death of the Messiah and the establishing of the Messiah's kingdom, with no clues concerning the chronology of those two events. No hints that the suffering and the kingdom building might be separated by millennia. In the New Testament, it becomes clear that the Messiah would have two advents. In the first, he suffered and died, and rose again. And in the second, he will establish his kingdom. Because God's revelation in Scripture is progressive, the New Testament brings into sharper focus principles that were introduced in the Old Testament. The book of Hebrews describes how Jesus is the true high priest and how his one sacrifice replaces all previous sacrifices, which were mere foreshadowings. The Passover lamb of the Old Testament becomes the lamb of God in the New Testament. The Old Testament gives the law. The New Testament clarifies that the law was meant to show men of their need of salvation and was never intended to be the means of salvation. The Old Testament saw paradise lost for Adam. The New Testament shows how paradise is regained through the second Adam, Christ. The Old Testament declares that man was separated from God through sin. And the New Testament declares that man can be restored in his relationship to God. The Old Testament predicted the Messiah's life. The Gospels record Jesus' life. And the Epistles interpret his life and how we are to respond to all that he has done. In summary, the Old Testament lays the foundation for the coming of the Messiah, who would sacrifice himself for the sins of the world. The New Testament records the ministry of Jesus Christ and then looks back on what he did and how we are to respond. Both Testaments reveal the same holy, merciful, and righteous God who condemns sin but desires to save sinners through an atoning sacrifice. In both Testaments, God reveals himself to us and shows us how we are to come to him through faith. All right. Now, Jeff, if you could put up that uh, graphic uh, chart that I gave. Now, when he used Isaiah as an example, he said Isaiah shows us pictures of Christ's first coming and second coming, but he doesn't see the gap in between. So as the prophets are speaking, they are not speaking about the church age, and they're also not speaking about the rapture. Now, what we're seeing here, for those in the back, is here's the prophet... And it says what the prophet saw. So he sees all of this, all right, Calvary, the cross, um, and all the way to Pentecost. Joel speaks about that. And then down the valley here in this graphic is done the church age, and that the prophet doesn't see. So as he is writing, even though you know, a lot of this I mean, is, is applicable to us, certainly, that we're just not in the same administration that we are now. So the, where, how God is dealing with man has changed. But what we see is what he saw. So remember, when you're reading the Old Testament prophets, that it, you're not going to see things about here. They're talking about life in his day, all right, and all up until that time, he could see all that. Those, that little line could be showing all the way down here. And then we see things like the Antichrist and, and the Tribulation. So the end of the, the church age is not seen by the prophets. You can go ahead and leave that up and turn the light on if you want. Uh, just to get that cemented into, into our heads a little bit on how that works. So, it's often referred to as the prophet's eye and, and what he saw. And again, you know, the truths of the Old Testament are obviously valuable. But why is this so important to me? I mean, you can tell for the last couple of weeks I have been going up to this. Because many Christians give up reading the Bible. 
Some because they can't read, some because they're just lazy, and some people just don't get it. You know, I've heard that. I I don't get it. I'm reading this, but I'm not understanding it all. Well, because we're not understanding the content and the context, right? We can't just pick open, you know, know, halfway through the Harry Potter series and start reading it and, and understand what's going on. We need to know the full background of it. Not that you always have to start in the book of Genesis, but we at least need to get that overall picture. And I want people to understand the scriptures, all right? Because there is so much all through this that God is revealing about himself, and this is the God that we need to know. And secondly, you know, I value the teaching of God in this book so much that I don't want to see it misapplied or misunderstood. And that does happen. Um, Can you do a Google search for me and put that up there? Yeah? Jeremiah 29.11. Anybody familiar with this verse? All right. A couple of folks. Yeah? Uh, this time of year, uh, by the way, congratulations there, Joey, on graduation. Um, we'll see in graduation card. Yeah, we can do that. <laughs> um, you might have gotten a graduation card from a good Christian uh, family that may have said something like, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. So put up up the search for Jeremiah 29.11 and do it as an image search. This verse is all over. Once I've read it, I mean, everybody has heard that before at one point or parts of that verse, familiar with it. And so I I just did a little simple Google image search to see, you know, what, what is, is out there with this verse? Because it's obviously a very, very popular verse. And I found, um, you know, graduation cards, uh, T-shirts, uh, plaques, um, all kinds of things. That This is just a simple look at one verse in the Old Testament, an image search. And it just keeps scrolling there. I mean, you know, we've got book covers, it looks like. We have all kinds of, yeah, christianbooks.com. Posters for your room, for your classroom, whatever it might be. So you get, you get the drift, all right? We're good with that. Go back to the other image if you could, the, uh, the graph. Now, to whom is that written? Is it written to the church or is it written to Israel? It's written to Israel. Who knows what the circumstances were of Israel during that time? Was everything all sweet and pleasant? No. No. They were in captivity. Now, I will say, history does bear out that it was pretty sweet for some. Because when a nation would take over another and, and do this whole captivity thing, they, like, the troublemakers didn't come on the trip. All right? You know, those who weren't the major contributors to society were somehow forgotten and left behind. Right, that all of those people who could administrate well, who were good at working with their hands, were the highly educated, they would be the first ones to go. And we can see this through the, the Old Testament stories uh, that, we, we, that we read. So some of those people adjusted quite well into this new world of, of Babylon. But for many, it was a very heartbreaking time. They were separated from families, and some when things didn't work out well, you know, the justice system probably wasn't necessarily in their favor. That, you know, things may have been a little less than fair uh, for the folks coming from Israel. So it wasn't a happy time. So it was very, you know, unhappy time that they were going through. And I'll quote from the, uh, the book of Psalms where we read, By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat, sat and wept as we thought of Zion. 
that even those who came in the situation may not have been so bad, they would eventually realize that spiritually they were not prospering, that they weren't worshiping God the way they should. Yeah, everything was, you know, cool, you have something new and different, you know, and maybe things are good or at least okay for you, but it was not a good time. They were taken away as captives. So Jeremiah the prophet says, I know for, he writes for on God's behalf, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. But I'm not done with you. All right? Because was God done with, with Israel because of this captivity? No. All right? That we're still only a few hundred years, uh, six, seven hundred years away, that, that Christ would come. So the workings of God were not done. So he's given the people hope. This is not a verse that is saying that you are going to be prosperous and financially wealthy for the rest of your life because God says so. If that were the truth, and if you want to argue the point, why did God only pick certain nations for that to happen in? Talk to the people who are eating their dinner tonight from, you know, in the middle of India in a trash heap, picking out the garbage. Did God forget about them? All right, try to play it out in the, in the real life, right? This is written for the... Now, I know that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for teaching, for training, for correction of righteousness, and it is, because that passage shows me the heart of God for his people, and that I am never forgotten by my God. And that is the lesson that is there for us today. It is not saying that we're going to all be wealthy, no matter what the guy on TV says. Um, and if it is, basically we're in a room full of failures, right? <laughs> you know, <laughs> we're not there, but... Again, I always, you know, preclude that or add to that the fact that we are in the richest, what, now 7 or 8% in the whole world today, the people in this room. So, you know, it was written to Israel while in captivity, a foreign army had conquered them and taken them physically away from their land. Now, God didn't add that verse in the Bible for our posters and our, um, our, our graduation cards so that we will think that we're all going to be proud. No, that is not what it's revealing about God. Also, the importance of this is to, is to show us the difference between the rapture and the second coming. Thessalonians, Paul tells them that you know, we will be taken away to meet him in the air, that whole rapture thing. That is not the second coming. That is the rapture, and that is what happens at the conclusion of the church age. All right, That little point here we're not going to see, but then it would begin the seven years of tribulation upon the earth, all right? So that is the rapture. The, the, the second coming of Christ is not until after that. So again, people get to confuse, the whole thing confused. That's why this is important to understand. A mystery, like the pulling back of a curtain, just not visible until this administration, this dispensation, this period of time. Um, and in the fact, verse 6, let's look at that. Um, this mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, Members together, one body, shares together in the promise of Christ. That there are no more walls. He is using this truth to deal with a problematic social issue that was happening in the church that needed to be corrected. He didn't just say, you know, go do it. He didn't just say, you know, this is how you have... No, he explained it from the administration of God that he is dealing with everybody the same in this generation, in this, in this period of time. And so 
the fact that this mystery was known to Paul and some of the other prophets, all right, is using that to show us that what is the lesson in here? The, the practical lesson is that there's no more walls. All right, there's no more walls between each other. There's no more walls between us and God. All of this has happened. And people are different. And this is a struggle for us. All right? Some people look different, walk different, talk different. Some are smart, some are not so smart. Some are secure people, some are not so secure people. We have all kinds of people here. All right? Different strengths, different back- backgrounds and upbringings that we all bring to the table. Biblically, we even have different gifts. But it is the working of one administration in the fact that we are all the church of God. The reason for his story, all right, verse 7, I became a servant of this gospel. These, these people are being t- taken to task here. All right? they, these words were not necessarily read and were comforting because now they have to like, look, right, this guy I used to call a dog because he was a Gentile. And now he's a co-heir with Christ and me. And like, this is uncomfortable. But it wasn't about our comfort. All right? It was about the glory of God and what he was doing to be able to reach out and say that, look at what happens here. He says, I became a servant. We know Paul says, you know, I am the less than the least of all God's people. He said, God took a crumb like me. Let's not, for, even though he's well-educated and, and his literary skills are off the charts as we read through here, but, you know, he says that, you know, God took a crumb like me and changed me. And God can change us. We make so many lateral, horizontal judgments about how we will interact with one another. And God says that we are one in Christ. And that if anybody needs to change, as Paul led by the example in saying, it's here that needs to change. This is God's intent. This is our purpose, to know him and to make him known. And as we'll go into the next lesson, will be, that is his plan. That is what he, we are so concerned about our own plans. All right, what I like, what I want, but what has God given to me? And this is what he has given. All right, this mystery, he has thrown the curtain back and he's explaining that, that, you, that this wasn't known about before. You know, you were doing okay before because that's how it was, but now things are different. And where did it start, the apostle said? It started right here. Look here for the change. Let's pray. Father and God, we thank you, Lord. You love us. And we thank you that you're gracious to us. And Lord, even when we don't understand, Lord, you don't kick us out the door. Lord, you love us. You put your arms around us. And you want us to understand more and more about you. And Lord, may we understand this. Lord, for this little lesson in, uh, in hermeneutics or Bible doctrine, whatever it may be, Lord, to understand how the word of God was given and, uh, and how it is to be understood by us in this age. But mostly, Lord, the lesson through it all is that from the very beginning, Lord, when you created us, Lord, you loved us. And may we see, Lord, that you died on the cross, you paid for our sins. And it's not by our good works, Lord, that we have eternal life, but it's through faith in you. And Lord, may we understand also, Lord, that we are one in you. Lord, all of us. Lord, we can be, we can be so critical of, of one another. And Lord, we need to embrace one another and, and allow, Lord, uh, you to work through the gifts you have given to us that may be needed by someone else. Uh, Lord, to be able to minister. And I pray that we would understand that. Lord, that you didn't have a place to lay your head. Lord, that you didn't complain about the, uh, the things that don't matter, but we sure do. Lord, may we be more like you every day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank Please you guys. rise as we close.